Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Perigia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages. We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, saying in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun will be turned to to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's read together from Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption, 
When we cry out, Abba, Father, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We comprehend Pentecost at all sorts of different levels. So let's admit it. Some of us here this morning are in Pentecost graduate school. We're college or seminary educated in matters of the church and the spirit. We're immersed in the liturgy and the rhythms and the language of church. We understand the preacher's dilemma when Easter comes early and spring and summer arrive only after buckets of rain, before the peonies have even begun to blossom, and before the earth is warmed up enough to take resurrection seriously. We've been there and we've done that when it comes to the whooshing Pentecostal wind that appears seven weeks after Easter with religious regularity. And we've been fashioned, we fashioned a timid at best relationship with the shy member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. For we know this Spirit prefers to stay backstage, deferring to the out-in-front extroversion of Jesus and the reserved majesty of the Creator. And we can see that even on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit doesn't make a grand personal appearance. It's wind. Too much wine or whiskey early in the morning? Fire on the head? No, it's the people of God who take center stage, their hair tussled and singed, staggering a bit, bolting out into the street, talking a mile a minute. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost marks the birth of the community of faith, the church, as Blair reminded us. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher in all things. But others of us are in Pentecost kindergarten. We were not aware of the church year. We didn't even know that the church had a year. We're not aware that while from Christmas to Easter our story is Jesus' story of his birth, his parables, his friends, his death. And then at Pentecost today we switch to the church's story. and We go until Christmas talking about ourselves and about how we are the body of Christ. And we talk about the way that Jesus' message rises from the dead over and over again, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. For us, Easter Sunday is followed by a summer series of scripture readings devoted to a single unsettling chocolate bunny-free question, how then shall we live? The lectionary, the regular cycle of Scripture proclaims, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And we say, we know, we know. He is risen indeed, but who ate the last peeps and who got the last of the jelly beans? The Holy Spirit is our teacher about living into the cycles of the life of the church. Still others of us are somehow caught in Pentecost middle school. We're still pondering the eternal middle school question of, do you like me? Or the existential middle school question, why do you hate me? We think it's amazing that somehow odd, the, the, this group of odd and amazing people from 
All those weird places showed up on this Pentecost story. They're the cool kids from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, and they're sitting at the center table in the middle of the cafeteria at school. And over there, there are the kids from Egypt and Libya sitting alone, wonder if they'll be welcomed to join the feast. And then some of the amazing Parthians and Elamites are standing over there against the wall, their heads down, illuminated by their screens, wondering if they'll be accepted. Will they be rejected? Will they be welcomed? Will they be cast out by the in crowd because of their race or their gender identity or their ethnicity? Will they be excluded because of the school that they attend? Will they be a part of the main event? The Holy Spirit is the agent of acceptance and inclusion in the life of the church community. And once again, the Holy Spirit is our teacher and the catalyst who practices and asks for complete acceptance of all of God's people. On the most basic of levels, this story welcomes all grade levels of learners, from kindergarten to Ph.D., In fact, it really insists it depends on a diversity of students and learners, participants, all reflective of the incredible diversity of the world in which we live. A few years ago, I went on a fly fishing trip on the Wood River in Idaho, and on the first day, I caught absolutely nothing. I saw a lot of fish, and a lot of fish looked at me, but... I honestly didn't have a clue about how to fish this big water western river that's so different from anything close by here. I didn't know whether to use flies that float on the top of the water, dry flies, or flies that sink under the water, wet flies. And I didn't know how to cast and retrieve, should I retrieve slow or fast against the current, with the current. I didn't know where the fish were holding. The next day it all changed when I I fished with a good friend. He knew the river. He knew what time of day to fish, what pools, and where to look for the hungry holding trout. He showed me which flies to use and and how to present them to the weary fish. He showed me exactly where to cast and how to retrieve ever so slowly. Guess what? I caught a few lovely fish. But I couldn't have caught them without the help of this friend. I needed a companion, a guide, I needed the suitable flies and the essential knowledge of how, when, and where to fish this particular river. My friend had all these things, and in sharing them freely, he made it possible for me to do something I could not do on my own. In both of our Pentecost readings today, I'm struck by how the Holy Spirit makes it possible for people to do things that they could not do on their own. And I am moved by what it means to have a companion, a friend, a guide, and a teacher to show us our mistakes and how to live faithfully and well and how to thrive in a world of difference and diversity and rapid change. If we're truthful, we all need a teacher, an advocate, a spirit, a mentor, a guide. The story in Pentecost and Acts helps us Appreciate how God understands human diversity, the greatest of God's gifts to the world. At Pentecost, God, through the Spirit, does not erase our differences, but 
embraces the fact that God has made us all so wonderfully different. And isn't that truly amazing? The end of Luke and the first of Acts, the disciples and other followers of Jesus are regrouping and discerning what a life of faith looks like after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus promised that he would give a gift that would empower and enable the whole community to live into the future. And so Jesus does at this time. We have to remember just a bit back into our history that this Pentecost story in Acts is set over against an older story in Genesis from our Old Testament. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. In that ancient tale, God disordered all the human languages so the earth no longer had one language in the same words. It was a tale to explain diversity and the dissimilarity of all the many peoples in the ancient Middle East, and it, it took hold. And presumably, the story in Genesis was about God's peculiar punishment for the human race, but just think, Pentecost does not actually reverse Babel or explain the enormous diversity of people and the languages on the earth. It's not the case that at the end of Pentecost that all the earth or even all the believers speak one language in the same words. The miracle of Pentecost is that even though there are still many languages, people are able to understand each other. It's a misunderstanding of the story to think that God's promise for the church is one universal language that we can all speak and understand. The apostles speak an assortment of languages so that a diversity of all of God's people can hear and know God's promise that for the church, our diversity, our difference, in that, God is leading us forward in understanding. So is it really a punishment for God that we're different? That we speak differently and live in different cultures? That is, a, is difference a problem in need of a solution? The vibrancy of the world's cultures is great evidence against a misreading of Babel. More importantly, if Pentecost was a reversal, why would the Spirit then give us all the ability to hear the gospel preached in our own language? At Pentecost, God, through the Spirit, God chooses to meet us where we are, no matter what level of comprehension, no matter our difference, no matter our similarities, but God chooses to move through that mess and to speak to us in ways that we can understand. The Spirit translates the gospel into a myriad of languages so that we can grow in faith and be united as a community of faith and practice. If you think this is easy, then you've never tried learning a new language, have you? You don't just substitute one word in one language for another word in another. The languages are messy and intricate. But it's most important that the church that the Spirit recommends and the church that God is in the business of creating is a church that will open its doors and its people will open their arms as widely as humanly possible. This church will seek out all kinds of people and not require them to become like us. That church will recognize that 
Without those people, we cannot be God's people. That that church will be a risk, but it will be a risk worth taking, a risk God has called us to embrace. On Pentecost, there's one line that jumps out of our new emerging mission, vision, next strategy that rings true. It's reflective of the Pentecostal spirit, and it, it, it emerged from our working group to say this, that, that as a community, First Pres will strive to be wildly inclusive. That is God's way. Spelling it out, the report goes on to name diversity as a guiding principle and the church that we look to become. It's guided by our call for diversity and acceptance of inclusion. It goes on to say that we respect different opinions, yes? We respect different perspectives and backgrounds, and we welcome persons from every age, race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, ethnicity, and background into this community. We strive, we strive humbly to be attentive to our own subtle biases. But we are fiercely committed to the principles of equity and respect and diversity and inclusion. For this is who we are. We invite all to participate and shape this community for we value one another deeply. On Pentecost, on this great festival of communication and understanding, Jesus' disciples found themselves suddenly able to speak in many languages and to be understood by native speakers, devout Jews from every nation under heaven. What seems first just like a reversal of Babel becomes something even better for all of us, that God's reaffirmation of the variety of languages and differences by which people live and speak is one of the things that God values the most. On Pentecost, rather than scattering and confusion, many people of many tongues chose to come together to grow close and to listen to one another. For many, the story of Acts is the stuff of our dreams in which suddenly we can speak Italian or Chinese or French fluently and understand the words spoken to us. When such things happen in waking life, they feel a little bit like a miracle, don't they? Once I remember traveling across the ocean to meet a group for a three-week period of study, and we began our trip, were to begin our trip in Cairo. I was separated from my group in Frankfurt, and I arrived in Cairo late, alone, and unsure of what I was to do next. I was struggling to understand I met my very gracious host who was the only person in the airport with a sign that I could read. <laughs> we were trying to understand one another. He had a map and pencil and paper and with all smiles and laughter, with joy and with hope, we managed to communicate and understand. Experiences with comprehension can be really rare. Sometimes I can understand every word in a sentence and still not know what that sentence means. With Stephanie Paulsell, I feel like Edgar Allan Poe's narrator and the murders on the Rue Morgue as I try to follow the reasoning of his friend Dupin. Dupin said, I seem to be on the verge of comprehension, without power to comprehend, as 
people feel at times, find themselves on the brink of remembrance without being able, in the end, finally to remember. Upon the verge of comprehension seems to be an apt account of what we experience on Pentecost. Who can claim to be totally confident in the season's mysteries and challenge? To know fully the Spirit's presence. To understand and to be able to move easily amongst the diversity and great, great energy of this world. Who can know when the Spirit is present and when the Spirit is absent? And even those who hear the disciples preaching in their own tongues had to ask, what does this mean? Comprehending God's deeds of power, the raising of Jesus from the dead, and the outpouring of the Spirit requires more than finding the perfect phrase in our language. Comprehension, I think, doesn't arrive all at once and for all, once we have understood the words. Those who heard the disciples preach on Pentecost understood the message in their own language. But that was only the beginning of their life together. For it was in the actual life together that their answers to what does this mean began to take shape and make sense. And it was the life they lived together that inspired others to answer that question as well. This Pentecost today, this very day in Rome, people from around the world gathered in the Pantheon and they celebrated the Mass together, some understanding the liturgy completely unders, just sensing the words and the motions. And some may be worshipped in a Christian way for the first time. At the end of the service, Roman firefighters standing on the top of Pantheon's dome poured red rose petals down through the oculus, the large opening in the center of the dome that permits sunlight, sunlight to move through the building as the earth turns. The oculus, remember, has always been open to the sky. It stands open like an interface between heaven and earth, no matter which gods are being worshipped beneath it. Looking up through it at the sky, participants might be standing in any moment in time next to the diverse throng of all of humanity who've ever stood beneath it and lifted their faces to the heavens. So in the Pantheon today, just like here at First Pres, we worshipped, we heard the gospel, and we saw the doves flying over us. But as the rose petals flow down through that opening, just as we experience the doves flying overhead, the experience of God's Holy Spirit makes us one for a moment in which the Parthians and the Judeans, the Romans and the Arabs, and all others who heard the gospel in their own languages comprehend. We may not know each other's languages, but as the rain of rose petals begin, as the Spirit begins to descend, we all have our faces turned in the right direction. So what does this mean? That first Pentecostal congregation asked, and they kept exploring the experience, breaking bread together, praying for each other, studying the scriptures, enjoying each other's company and fellowship. They enjoyed sharing their wealth and possessions to heal those who were sick and to mend those who were broken and to feed those who were hungry filling a need out of their abundance. On the verge of comprehension here on Pentecost, we're not called to understand perfectly, but we're called to the imperfect life of being a welcoming, diverse, and inclusive community of God's people. On the edge of what we understand and what we do not, 
There's room for our comprehension to be shaped by the harmony and wild inclusion of God's Spirit, keeping our faces turned heavenly toward love. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. We pray all of this as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.